Innes Forgettance is a folk fantasy podcast set in an alternate Appalachia and faraway Celtic fort. You can help support me and this story by sharing it with your friends, posting on social media, or by clicking the link in the description to buy me a coffee. I'm glad you joined me this week, and stay safe out there in the woods. on the Innes Forgiddance, after Porter abruptly leaves the corn shuckin, the town fiddle player, Will Seeley, approaches Colleen and asks about Porter and her family. Offended, she insists that her family isn't cursed. Then, Pa chastises Colleen for letting Porter leave. Together, they pack up and head for home. Porter in Inniscombe. Porter's legs had begun to sting, but he pressed on, trudging up through the Hampton's property just as the sky burned red-orange, as if the heat of his humiliation reached as far as the heavens. Dolly was crossing back from the herb garden as he approached. He didn't try to stifle his footsteps. She jumped and squeaked when she noticed him. Porter! Her lantern swung in one hand, a bunch of fennel in the other. At least cough or something to announce yourself. Don't just sneak up on a person. I was liable to drop my lantern and set the place afire. Exhausted and parched, Porter didn't even try to speak. He only shrugged. Goodness, come on up to the porch. I was about to go in for supper. Do you want to eat with us? He shook his head and she hurried up the porch steps, tucking the fennel under her arm and setting her lantern on a barrel beside the door before entering the cabin. Porter turned and squinted through the thin curtains covering the windows. Mr. Hampton and the four boys crowded around the table expectantly, the two youngest needling each other under the tablecloth, while Mrs. Hampton passed out the silverware preparing for a carefree family supper. He wondered what it would be like to have a supper like that with his own family. He longed for it. Pressing his thumbs to his eyes, he swallowed over and over, as much to tamp down rising emotion as to moisten his parched throat. He opened his eyes at the sound of Dolly's steps. She handed him a large aluminum mug of cold water. Corn shuckin' was tonight, wasn't it? She turned, standing on tiptoe to freshen the fennel over the door, Porter drank eagerly. The puddling water over his tongue loosened his taut vocal cords. Yeah. Dolly knelt, dropping the seeds into the keyhole. That'll go up until midnight. It's just barely six right now. Why are you gone so early and walking home by yourself? He dipped his head and raised his eyebrows. I see. And you came here because... He leaned over to fish his twig out of his pocket, hoping that, despite his mental and physical fatigue, he could force enough words out of his stubborn muscles. I want to visit Davina Warren. 
What? Now? Wasn't she there? Aunt Nula said she was at a... a birth. But th that was hours ago. Childbirth don't take too long, does it? Dolly giggled, then clamped her hand over her mouth. Porter waited, and her eyes widened. You're serious? She glanced at her front door. Porter, it's supper time. There's no way my ma and pap will let me go out this late. The sun'll set in just over an hour. Can't we go tomorrow morning or something? He shook his head, clamping down on the twig. Lots of work tomorrow. Pa needs me. Now is best. Dolly tilted her head and sighed. Movement in the window caught their attention as Mrs. Hampton stood and crossed toward the front of the cabin. The door opened. Dolly, it's... Porter, is everything all right? Porter tensed, biting hard on the stick between his teeth before trying to speak. But Dolly spoke first. It's Mrs. Hollis, Ma. She spoke urgently. She's sick. Something's happened. Porter stayed home with her while the rest of his family went shookin'. But things got worse, and his paws got the horses. Mrs. Hampton ran a finger through her hair. Oh, goodness. He needs to go for Mrs. Warren fast, Mama. I can take him in our wagon to get Mrs. Warren and be back by dark or soon after. He can borrow the horse and wagon. Bring it back tomorrow morning. Mrs. Hampton ran her fingers through her tousled bun. Oh, Dahlonega, it'll be dark soon, and I don't want you... Oh, but your father's wrist bothers him so bad today. I doubt he could even hitch the horses or pull the reins. Her dark eyes pinged around like gnats. But take a lantern, some fennel. Be quick, promise me. I'll sit up waiting. Thank you, Ma. Dolly nodded and crossed to Porter, grabbing his hand. Hurry. Here we are. Dolly spoke low as the horses trotted up to Davina Warren's tiny cabin, not far from the bridge leading into the town proper. The sky had purpled, making the trees, homes, and fences around them appear to be made of shadow. They leaned forward, squinting into the twilight at the cabin to their left. It was tiny, just one room, but behind it, a large, dilapidated fence guarded a swath of land, barely concealing the fluffed forms of autumn-thriving herbs. In the spring and summer, Mrs. Warren's healing garden was truly a beauty. He glanced back to the cabin, relieved to see the faint glow of a lamp in its sole window. Dolly slowed the horses and tied them to a post beside a well. They climbed down. Does your pa, Aunt Nula, or Colleen speak to Widow Warren much when you come to town? Porter shook his head. When's the last time any of your kin did? The scene flashed in his memory, himself, six or seven years old, clinging to the ladder of his loft as though it were his mother's skirts. Pa, Nula, and Colleen standing rigid near the door to Mama's room. Mrs. Warren came out rifled through her woven basket for yet another sachet of herbs, scribbled something on a paper, and shrugged helplessly as she handed it to Pa. That was when Pa swore it all off. Healers, tinctures, praying at the kirk, maybe even Mama. He stopped trying after that. He didn't even try to save Porter's speech. 
Porter swallowed. Near ten years. They approached the front door where a woven wreath of fennel hung. Porter sucked in a slow, measured breath, praying he'd learn something of use from the widow Warren, and knocked. Movement in the window caught his eye. The lamp lifted and disappeared. Shuffling footsteps approached, and the door creaked open, revealing only Mrs. Warren's broad, creased face, softly illuminated by the lantern she held in her hand. Delonaga Hampton? Her wide-set eyes drifted to look at Porter. And is that... Sarah Hollis's son? Is it urgent? No, ma'am. Not urgent. But important and private, Dolly said. May we come in for a few moments? Mrs. Warren's brow creased as though she couldn't make sense of the situation, but she stepped back and pulled the door open wide. Even before he entered, the sense of flour and spice and herb clashed with loamy smells of bark and root. Porter resisted the urge to crinkle his nose. Forgive the mess. The midwife said, eyeing him. I only just came back from the Eggleston's within the hour, dropped my kit, and changed clothes as soon as I crossed the threshold. Mrs. Patterson done started her pains. It'll be a while still, but she's carrying twins, and Miss Bullwright might need my support. I can talk until a wagon pulls up to get me. All manner of objects crowded the single pen cabin, some Porter could identify, and others he couldn't. On the left wall stood a small bed with a wash basin perched on top of a cedar chest at its foot. Straight ahead was a caneback chair and a modest desk stacked with a roll of cheesecloth, an aluminum tea kettle, and a jar filled with measuring spoons. Woven baskets spilling over with linens and clothing flanked the desk on either side. Nearly all wall space was taken by simple shelves, crowded with jars of all sizes, containing leaves, petals, coarsely chopped roots, and liquids the color of urine, rainwater, and bottled pine sap. Perhaps to Davina Warren the jars were tools, perhaps to Dolly the jars were medicine, to Porter the jars were answers, to people's pain, illness, Dare he hope that the midwife held answers to his pain, the kind of answers that don't fit in jars? His gaze returned to Mrs. Warren. As a child, the midwife and healer had seemed wise and strong, even in her old age, with her broad face and stature, but now he stood more than a head taller. Her face, with high and wide cheekbones, still looked strong and determined, but her cheeks sunk underneath them, drawing in a clue to some missing teeth. Her gray hair was whitening in uneven patches, but she still wore it parted down the middle and tied into a bun. Through a leathered face, she watched him with a murky stare that made him want to shrink back despite his six-foot height. He looked at his feet. She had tried and tried to fix Mama, but couldn't. Did she think him cursed? If she wouldn't talk to him, what was left for him to do? Thank you for seeing us. Dolly stepped farther into the home. Don't mind my saying so, said Widow Warren, but
but you two aren't known as a pair by anyone in town. Her eyes widened and she crossed her arms. Now if y'all got yourselves into a fix, I am not the one who will fix it for you. No, ma'am. Dolly held up her hands in a promise. We aren't. We didn't. I'm, I'm not. She cast a helpless glance at Porter. His friend was generally so composed. Despite his nerves, he bit back a smile at the sight of her floundering and shrugged apologetically. Dolly closed her eyes and took a breath. Mrs. Warren, Porter and I are not a couple. I'm not with child. I'm here to speak for him because his voice hasn't worked in a year and... Hmm, so I've heard. What's wrong with his voice? It's like his muscles are all locked up. Dolly answered, glancing at him to check her response in his eyes. He nodded. He can't speak without something clamped between his teeth, and even then it's not much. Sometimes bites of food or a sip of water help a little. It's... it's like... Porter clenched his teeth tight. It's like my mind and my muscles ain't speaking. Dolly nodded. Not without a middleman. Mrs. Warren shuffled over to her shelves, setting the lantern on top of her small desk. She began twisting jars and bottles high and low to read the labels, pulling several down. But we're not here about his voice. He wants to know about his mother. At that, Mrs. Warren paused. Keeping her back to them, she said, Son, I did everything I could. I'm afeard there's nothing to be done for your mama, but there might be something I can do for your voice. He doesn't want medicine, ma'am. He wants stories. Dolly took a couple of steps closer as Davina Warren lined up several jars on top of her desk, unscrewed their lids, and snipped off a length of cheesecloth. She took pinches of dry matter, roots, bark, Porter couldn't be sure, and made a small pile on the cloth as Dolly continued speaking. Porter knows you did your best, and he... understands. She drew out the word, casting a wary look over her shoulder at him until he confirmed with a nod. That there probably ain't nothing more you can do, but he wants to know what happened when he was born. Widow Warren stopped. He wants to hear it straight from you, so he can better understand how it all started. Dolly shrugged, and maybe figure out why. Mrs. Warren tied the corners of the cheesecloth together and secured it with twine, making a large sachet. His pa and Nula Gregor were there. Surely he can ask them. Mr. Sal can barely handle his todays, much less his yesterdays. And all of Inniscombe knows Miss Nula won't tolerate living in the past. You're the only one we can go to. Davina placed the sachet into a tin mug. Lifting the kettle perched on her desk, she poured steamless water into the mug and handed it to Porter. Her dingy blue eyes pierced into his as he took the cup from her. Warmth traveled over his palms, and he relaxed a little. Porter, she said softly, I'll tell you whatever an old woman like me can remember but I'm not sure what good it'll do you. Porter's shoulders dropped with relief. She nodded at the mug in his hand. The water's not hot enough. 
I made it the moment I came home from the Eggleston's, but drink while I talk. Let me know if it loosened you up. Porter lifted the cup to his lips, then sipped. It smelled and tasted of mint and spice, crisp and floral, and other things he couldn't pinpoint. But Widow Warren began to speak, and his mind stopped considering the tea in his hand, and he sipped without thinking while she spoke. She had so many false starts, I remember feeling bad for her. It's not uncommon, but it is discouraging and frustrating for a woman to think her baby's coming, only to have everything grind to a halt. Mrs. Warren gazed at the wall, squinting as though she tried to pull the memory closer to better examine the details. She was tired from the get-go. She had a two-year-old, your sister, demanding attention. High-strung, little thing. Davina shook her head. Colicky baby girl if there ever was one. But the last time your pa brought me over to check her, I saw your mama holding on to the back of a rocking chair and swaying her hips. It gets the baby down. A mother knows it without anyone telling her. And I knew her baby was coming for certain that time. I'd been serving women almost forty years by then, and I'd never seen anything like it. Not before nor since. Your mama's a sweetheart. Always was, with a voice like a clear Kirk bell. She never complained, through both births. But toward the end of yours, at dark, it's like she got rattled in some deep, lost place. Women feel all kinds of emotions during birth. Crying's normal. But that sound, it was more like the cry you hear during a wake. She blinked and shook her head, looking at each of them as though she'd said too much, and there was yet more to tell. Dolly scanned Porter's eyes. He nodded. Tell the rest, Mrs. Warren, she said. He came for the whole story, no matter how hard it is to hear. Widow Warren sighed. She said she had a pit in her stomach. Dread that something terrible was coming. While Nula pulled back the curtain and there they were, the haints, coming out of the dark like they'd forgotten something inside the Hollis cabin and weren't going to leave until they got it back. Davina pinched the bridge of her nose and closed her eyes. When she spoke, her voice had ticked up in pitch and in pain. Now I think dredging up the past did nothing but make it worse for you, and it wasn't a pleasant experience for me to recall either. But you said you just had to know. Porter's eyes burned with gathering moisture. Dolly watched him with wide, worried eyes. He sipped the remainder of the tea. In his chest, he felt a hot, leaden desperation, as though something from Uncle Ed's forge had been shoved under his ribs. So it's true, he said. The tightness in his core grew hotter as he stuttered the words. She's, um, we're cursed. If we're cursed, I have to break it, he thought. Davina pursed her thin lips until they disappeared. For all the claims this town makes about what the never seen do and why, I've lived long enough to doubt it all. I have no answers, but I have plenty of questions. Curse you. She shot him a pointed look. A baby. A sweet mother. Why? Maybe they're interested is all, and trying to prod you like a shepherd with a staff until you go their way. 
though that's precious little more comfort than a curse. His mind scrambled to digest it all. His chest burned for answers. If they want us, he thought, I have to get rid of them. What about Porter's grandmother? Dolly's voice yanked him out of his rabbit hole of questions. Did you know her? Davina's shoulders sank. Sure did. My baby sister Ruby, heaven rest her soul, was friends with both Gregor girls, but especially your grandmother. Shame she's not here. What happened to Porter's grandmother? Dolly pressed. Davina's eyes grew cloudy, confused. She and her husband died when Sarah was but a baby. Haven't you seen their gravestones every Remembrance Day picnic? Shaking her head, she turned. No more. She crossed to one of the woven baskets, gingerly bending to pull out a fresh white apron, tugging it over her head. When she turned around again, her eyes narrowed in determination and pain. You listen to your great-aunt Nula, Porter Hollis. Don't you see? Nothing good comes from digging up the past. She returned to the line of herbs she'd taken down, pinching greater quantities and dropping them into the cheesecloth. Take this for your voice. Use a tablespoon per cup of boiling water. Let it steep longer than I did for you today. It'll work better. Securing the herbs with twine, she crossed the room again and held it out, insistent. Porter pled with his eyes. I can't go on not knowing. They say it's all bec because of me. Please. He grasped her hand with both of his, the molten hot burn for answers growing ever hotter. I need the truth. The fervor within him traveled down his arms in a zealous heat and flooded out. The lantern on the desk flared and dimmed. Dolly jumped. What was that? Widow Warren released him. For a moment, she kept her pained gaze on his face, her lips barely moving as though she couldn't decide what to say. Porter froze, waiting. Had she felt it too? The sound of hooves and wagon wheels sounded beyond the doorway. Widow Warren's mouth moved noiselessly, but finally she said, I have to tend to Mrs. Patterson. Home you go. She fanned her palms to usher Porter and Dolly from her cabin and shut the door behind them before struggling up into the waiting wagon. The Patterson's wagon pulled away into the newborn night. Dolly spoke in a cautious whisper. What just happened, Porter? I don't know. The Innes Forgettance was written, narrated, and produced by me, Leah Noel, with special appearance by David Walker. The original song, Beware the Never Seen, was written, composed, and performed by Georgia musicians Miles Landrum and Lorelei. You can find links to more of their excellent music in the show notes. Sound effects came from the kind folks at freesound.org. You can follow this podcast with behind the scenes and more on Instagram and TikTok at Leah with a pen. Ooh.